everybody. Welcome to What Would the Smart Party Do? Uh, we're back. We're back for more chat. We're back for more chat over the internet. Hello, guys. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Baz. Glad to be out of work and doing fun stuff instead. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, much the same. Although, I've got a week off work, which is pretty cool. So, uh, I get to do nothing but fun stuff all week, like the complete list of jobs my wife has left for me to do that don't involve having any fun. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> that sounds rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Back to I like to kid myself when I'm cleaning out the garage that one day it will be full of role-playing books and miniatures and it will be my little gaming den. But no, it will just be a place to put more rubbish. Ah, oh, never mind. Uh, speaking of rubbish, so uh, what have we been up to in RPG land this last couple of weeks, mate? Have you been uh, buying games, playing games, running games, thinking about games? What have you been up to? A little bit, a little bit. Not too much. Uh, I've been here, there, and everywhere with work and stuff, which always gets in the way. But um, World War Cthulhu arrived, the Cold War version. So I've had a bit of a flick through that. Oh, nice. Which looks nice, but I've not had a chance to digest it properly. Um, And then on the indie side of things, quite recently, Belly of the Beast came through, one of the um, Kickstarter things. Um, Yeah. That's quite interesting. I've read read a lot of the background at the start and sort of got into the system. It's about as far as I've got. Um, and I think it's um, it's good just from an ideas point of view in terms of the conceit of the game is uh, a huge uh, world-eating monster worm thing has started scraping the planet's surface clear and eating it in this medieval world. Uh, and now you're either uh, you've been consumed or you've grown up and been born in this uh, in the belly of this beast. So it's a, basically a big dungeon crawl, but takes part uh, takes it's setting from the inside of a world-eating creature and you're trying to get by as best you can. So I quite like that. I'm not sure about the system yet or anything. I think you could run it as Savage or D&D or whatever you wanted, to be honest. But uh, cool ideas is what we want from gaming these days, so I'm quite happy with that. How about yourself? Uh, similar, except with fewer Cthulhu's. Uh, I've, got, I've got Belly of the Beast as well. Um, yeah, I had, I had a similar kind of feeling. It's, it was a really interesting read. It, it's not just this book. I do this with all books. I don't know if you do the same. I always set out with good intent. And, and I start reading, bizarrely, from page one. And I, I kind of try and read every word and just go through it. I just know that at some point I'm going to start to skim. And I don't know quite when it's going to be. <laughs> with some games you don't get past the introduction. Uh, and with other ones you get up to the combat chapter or, or even beyond. Spell lists normally do me, to be honest. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I normally fall over at that hurdle. Uh, Belly of the Beast started really, really well. It was really engaging. Um, the layout's kind of nice as well. It's, it's written a bit like a, a normal kind of fiction book, I suppose. Yeah. Just single column stuff and doesn't muck about. And I thought, oh, this is cool. And the chapters are really short, so you feel like you're getting somewhere. Um, and similarly to you, I thought, this is a great idea. The trouble is, after about 40 or 50 pages, I thought, hang on a minute, I've been given the good idea. I'm not sure what I'm reading now. <laughs> and it's a bit like those those sort of self-help books you get or or business management books where if you just read the back cover, the rest of it is just expanding on that and you could have saved yourself a bit of time by just flicking over the back cover. So I haven't written it off yet, but I, I am wondering what else to do with this brilliant idea I've had for free and everybody who's listened to this podcast has now had it for free. <laughs> just just we'll send somebody $10. See if he's got legs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to think there'd be more in the, in the back part, to be honest, and that's uh, I saw some interesting discussion actually uh, on Google Plus. Some guy was mentioning about what do I like about OSR, uh, and copied in people like Zach Smith and Kieran Robertson and some of those other guys who are quite strong advocates. So maybe if Belly of the Beast has got some stuff in the gem bit at the back, 
uh, about adventure seeds and ideas, that might make it worthwhile. But um, one of the interesting things from that G Plus conversation that I mentioned was when they were talking about OSR, it was about uh, the community of people getting together and having cool ideas more than anything to do with D&D or anything like that. Uh, and having usable gable materials, which we've mentioned quite a lot. So it's it's interesting. There's still some chat out there about that, whereas the, a lot of the games I'm getting or seeing recently seems seem to be by like more of the traditional model of you know some background, a combat chapter, whatever, and, and less about here's a usable artifact you can use in your gaming. Uh, and then there's a sort of moves into the question of do you need another game system when you buy a new book like Belly of the Beast or whatever else, or can you not just have some good ideas and usable stuff in there, and then use whatever system you like. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a couple of podcasts in that minimum, I would say. Mate, <laughs> I kind of ran into the same thing. I mean, um, I picked up because it was uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all that shizzle. So there was some really cheap stuff on drive through. Some stuff that I've been tempted by before, but never really splurged on. Uh, and I picked up The Sprawl and Uncharted Worlds which, funnily enough, are both powered by the Apocalypse games. Mm. Um, one's William Gibson Cyberpunk, and the other one is Space Opera. So two genres I really like. But I, I, I haven't really touched the sprawl that much yet. I've still got that one to come to. But Uncharted Worlds gave me a similar feeling to the one you've just described, which is, where's all the ideas? Um, yes, it is a system that... <sighs> Clearly, the author thought, I don't need to invent a new system for this because Powered by the Apocalypse does it quite well. Um, it brings its own flavour to the game. But I'm kind of turning it upside down and shaking it to see if I'm missing any pages because um, I'm not getting a huge amount of ideas out of it. And I, and I think that's what I'm spending my money on these days, more than mechanics and all the rest of it. I think. Um, I want some inspiration. And, um, and, it, and, it, and it's got to compete with stuff like uh, Netflix or just a damn good book. Um, and if it can't do that, then then maybe I maybe it needs to try a bit harder. So I've, I've not written off anything that I've read recently, but I'm more happy to skim now than I used to be. Yeah, I get the same sort of feeling too. I don't know, it's a bit weird. When I read novels, I quite often find myself having uh, fallen asleep or whatever else, and I end up rereading a chapter or something, or the, the last page I've already read, because I kind of miss where I was up to. Um, I'm finding more the opposite with role-playing games now, where I've kind of skip ahead a few pages and it refers to something that I think you haven't told me about that yet and then I realise that I've missed some pages out because I've been trying to find the juicy bits if you know what I'm talking about um, so yeah I mean horses for courses to a certain extent but um, yeah we still sort of bang the drum about you want stuff in there that you're going to use in your games don't you I guess or that's going to spark something that then you make up to use in your game um, so it's an odd one yeah, and, and I think, you know, the bits in Belly of the Beast that really sung for me, on, on the initial bit, again, you know, caveat, not finished it, I, I really like the central idea. There's some full-page art in it, which is really evocative, and I'm not normally a fan of art in games, but it's full-page stuff. It looks great. So yeah, yeah, slide that across the table, and that's literally a thousand words. Um, and it talks about how um, how people raise pigs. And it's a strange little thing <laughs> to stand out to me, but I really like the idea of there being swarms of hogs deep in the belly of this beast, and and that that's just a great piece of imagery, and it makes it it makes it different to all the other kind of fantasy post-apocalyptic games that are out there already. You know, in the same way that Warhammer had a small but vicious dog, Belly of the Beast has already got some poor sign antagonists, and you can't have enough of those in games. Quite right. Well, it, it makes sense <laughs> as well. I'm surprised no one else has thought of it because pigs will eat anything. 
So they're, they're, yeah. they're clearly the thing that would survive or thrive in that sort of environment where there's just loads of trash everywhere. It's like, ace for mm. pigs. We'll have all this. Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right, so that's that's what we've been up to. So uh, shall we get on with the main topic for tonight, my friend? Oh, go on then. Okay, all right. Uh, so on balance, we've decided to talk about balance in gaming. So this is a... It's a short topic, <laughs> hopefully with a long answer. Let's talk about balance. Um, and I guess we should start like we normally do. We're playing the old definition game. So by my count, there's about 15 definitions of this. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what's the first thing that pops into your head, guys, when we say um, balance in gaming. What's that then? Well, I'm a Libran, so I'm all about balance. That's oh, Lord. my star sign. Yeah. <laughs> so I know all about this topic. <laughs> I'm chaotic neutral. <laughs> I'm lawful evil. Uh, anyway, um, the thing is with balance, right? There's there's, there's different ways of looking at it, but uh, I think generally people people are talking about uh, within the character set. So you all make a character of whatever class or however you do it, but on balance, haha, you've all got like roughly equal power levels or ability to affect the story or get equal time or that sort of stuff. So. And as a general rule of thumb in games, people look for we can all do the same sort of like um, value of thing, whatever you judge value to be. And then equally, there's a can the GM play hard with the rules and antagonists that he's got against the players, or you know does he have to balance that haha again, uh, you know, and, and modify the flow of the game based on what happens in it, or can you play the game? quite hard. So something like, for example, uh, Mouse Guard or D&D 4th Edition should arguably be played uh, as per the rules as hard as you can because the game is balanced enough that the challenge is of appropriate level for the characters that you've got. Um, so that's that's my view on definitions. So the, the balance is do the mechanics of the game make everything play out uh, fairly and, and equitably. Cool. I'll take your definition and agree with that and add in a couple of extra bits um, I think also when people refer to balance they can be talking about spotlight time so everybody gets a fair crack of the whip around the table or around the hangout screen or whatever it is um, and that could be supported within the rules something like burning empires um, breaks down scenes into various different types and I'm not sure it goes to the, to the length of getting a stopwatch out, but I get the impression that you've got like your two minutes, then it's got to go to the left. So there's things like that for balance as well. Um, and then the other thing for balance, I would say, is uh, looking at the scale of balance that we're talking about. So you could have, for example, um, and I think this is what most people talk about when they talk about balance, is when you're generating PCs, if, if I choose uh, a warrior and you choose a wizard, are they going to be able to lay down similar levels of smack at first level? But over the scale of some games as well, does that balance separate itself out by meaning that not everybody can be good at everything all the time, but within your niche, you can be the best that you are and no one can touch you. And that might be something like um, the old Diceless game, Amber, where whoever was best at war was best at war but that was going to probably be the only thing they were best at so it was balanced in that sense in that somebody else would be good at whatever one of the other things was that nobody ever wanted i don't know was it courage or heart or something like that so I mean, you know what i mean no one ever wanted the other things so, um... <laughs> some people wanted psych so they could mentally dominate everybody else but yeah I psych. thank you very much guys yeah oh good that would do 
I, I may even bring it up later as, a, as an ideal of the most unbalanced game ever because it couldn't possibly be. But never mind. <laughs> it barely made it into a pile of things that you consider a game, but that's probably a different discussion. Anyway, uh, so yeah, balance. Lots and lots of different things about it. Here's what I find odd about the concepts of balance, right? So you and I have just readily agreed on some definitions. Not too tricky, and I don't think anybody would really disagree with that sort of stuff. However, how come people get their knickers in such a twist about how balanced a game is? It's massively important to people, whether it is balanced or isn't balanced. It's difficult to find people who don't give a monkey's one way or the other. And it's it's almost quite tribal, as a lot of things are in hobbies, and I get that. Um, that, that the, the people who don't want balance in the game see a balanced game as kind of the opposite of anything they could properly want from a role-playing experience is almost like it's excluded from their hobby. And similarly, the people who do like to have some balance see all other games that don't strive for that as if they're like just making it up as they go along and what's the point? It, it seems quite black and white, people's opinions about this. And, and I don't even know, to be honest, guys, where you sit in that spectrum. Um, I think I know where I sit, but I'm, I'm kind of stunned about how strong people's opinions are on this subject. I like balance. I'm Libran. I've mentioned it before. Um, I think when when things aren't balanced, especially in games where you uh, pick skills or you've got trees of feet or other stuff like that, when there's choices that are clearly better than others or some that are never going to use because they're clearly worse than others, it feels like bad design or it feels like whoever made the game didn't test it properly or something along those sort of lines. Do you know what I mean? So um, in Savage Worlds, you have uh, edges and hindrances, advantages and disadvantages. And one of the disadvantages, obese, uh, gives you plus one toughness, which is a really big advantage. So how are you taking this negative thing to give you more points to spend on other good stuff and it gives you a good thing as well? That's just wrong. Uh, and a lot of my characters have had it in games and stuff like that. But even if I use it myself personally, I feel like I'm cheating in some way because it's clearly a broken bit of the system. Uh, and there was things in 50 Fathoms, the first adventure set they brought out, that had that sort of thing. Like uh, I think it was like the crab people would get an extra arm as a, an, a, an advantage, but got like extra attacks and stuff. And it was just, it was clearly unbalanced. It was it gave you a better advantage than other things of that nature. Uh, and that does irk me. I'm not perhaps going to the point of the the zealots that you are mentioning, but if I'm buying a game where you're picking edges and hindrances and skill points and things like that, if it doesn't, if something doesn't balance out and seems undervalued or overvalued, I think people just have a natural kind of that's not worth it or that's ridiculous. Why should you get all that for half the price? Mm. I mean, Savage has had a go at it. In fairness, oh, in many ways, it's very it's, good. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's, it's gone to the trouble of separating out uh, major and minor. Um, for its hindrances, I think I'm right in saying that. Yeah. So clear, clearly, even if that's only like two categories, it's obviously the designers have thought, well, okay, if I have uh, one armed or death um, or likes a drink, which one is that going into? Is it going into minor or is it going into major? So at some point, a balancing decision has been made and it's been made with consideration to everything else that's in the game. But compare and contrast that with something like Fate, which is pick five aspects and nothing is stopping you picking um, I'm Batman, um, I'm also Superman, and I'm Spider-Man, and, <laughs> uh, you know, and I don't care what the other one is. You, you could do that. I know people don't, and maybe there's a self-balancing thing in there, but there's been no attempt, has there, in that game to do it. But it feels 
I get your point, mate. I think it feels worse when you see someone who's tried to get some balance right and has made some glaringly obvious howlers. It kind of upsets you on the whole thing more than a game that didn't even bother trying. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's when they look like they've tried and then get some things wrong that you get upset. Whereas if they haven't tried with anything, you don't really care. <laughs> uh, I, I guess, you know. Uh, and I think with fate and stuff like that, it's a little bit like you were mentioning uh, spotlight time should be balanced and all the rest of it. There's nothing really in a lot of rules that tell you anything about that. Even when it comes to spotlight time, they might say you have a scene each. But how long a scene acts uh, lasts could be like how interesting it is for the group around the table. And it might be two minutes for one person and ten minutes for the next. And there's no real... It's just really amongst the group that you sort of say to each other, oh, yeah, Baz hasn't had much of a go this week. What do you want to do? And try and bring you back in again because you seem to have been sat there quiet for a while. There's not really a good rule system for making sure you get exactly the you know the amount of time that you want or need necessarily. Because different people want different amounts of time anyway. You know, Some people like sitting back and listening to others. So that when it's a bit more loosey-goosey, I think it's hard to get it balanced and in inverted commas. Um, there's things like another game that we've played recently that I want to bring up actually is Feng Shui where if you've got a really good initiative you get to go loads of times compared to someone who hasn't got a great initiative uh, which is based Mm -hmm. on the speed stat but that seems a it's quite a loose game in many ways but there's a a glaringly obvious bit in there to me that it's it's designed uh, in a way that will mean that some players get to go five times and some players get to go two times in the majority of cases and that doesn't feel balanced Mm -hmm. not because you know the martial artist shouldn't be able to kick people in the head five times, but it's the fact that someone's getting to roll the dice five times and someone only gets to roll them twice. It doesn't matter the method of what it is they're doing, whether they're casting spells or running at walls and kicking people in the head or whatever. Uh, the balance seems off there because mechanically you're making sure that some players are going to get more actions than others, which seems a bit off. Mm. Yeah, in, in a game that's about fighting almost exclusively as well. Yeah. So you, you, can't, you can't rebalance that balance by having some some big old social scenes for the diplomacy to get chatty in. You know, there's none of that freestyle bit. So no, exactly. That does seem a bit. Uh, and actually, do you know, if you if you want to know whether a game has tried for balance, just take a look at the uh, action economy. I would say in the game, because it's been true for absolutely donkey's years that um, any kind of initiative rule where you can go more than once in a turn is probably not going to be a great game design all the way through. Uh, and as evidence, I will point to wild reflexes in Shadowrun, yeah. which meant that you got to have basically an extra half an hour worth <laughs> of game over anybody else around the table. Yeah. And the entirety of the uh, Slay Industries system. Yeah, which is the worst gave, thing I've ever seen. I mean, I might as well go and put the kettle on at least. I might as well go and buy a kettle from Argos by the time <laughs> I get back when someone who's good at going has finished their stuff. And I thought you were going to say... the simplest of things. I thought you were going to say you might as well go and get a kettle from Argos while I finish ranting about the same industry. <laughs> <laughs> I think I actually did go out of the room once while you were having a rant on same issues. We didn't see each other for months after that. I think I just went home. And <laughs> no one noticed. I was still going when you came back. Yeah. Um... And there's a game that had like advantages, disadvantages, or hindrances, and all that kind of stuff too. And they were just in no way tested against each other. But some nonsense. For every person who rants like we do, there's somebody else going, "Well, what does it really matter? Aren't you just supposed to be telling a story?" Uh, Yes, Uh, and that's kind of where I see uh, a lot of OSI type games fitting in in terms of really lightweight systems. So you just tell your story, and you've got an easy system that everybody's quite happy with. 
and they don't care about how balanced it is necessarily or how much a broadsword does compared to a spear or anything really they just want a set of rules that work for them and then they just do their thing and jam along which is fine if you like that kind of stuff um, I don't so much I actually like the mechanical heft uh, and working out good options and you know uh, knowing that someone who's the fighters can dish out more damage than someone who's the cleric or whatever that sort of thing appeals to me that I like putting people in niches or knowing what the specialties are and seeing where the balance comes out in that way um, but you know some people do just like we just want to sit around and chat talk about killing goblins and then roll a d20 every now and again which is fine so for them balance won't really matter too much um, it's, it's a style of playing I guess uh, what I've done yeah I think so oh, on. the other example I was going to give which I find a bit curious is uh, the one ring which I find quite good and that's pretty well balanced in many ways uh, until one of the more recent supplements when they brought out uh, Noldor Elves so they're in there now like they're, they're really old mm. powerful elves and they're just better than everybody else um, so that you know you get more stat points basically and more points to spread around your character for skills and all the rest of it because they're better uh, and there's two schools of thought on there so it'd be interesting to see sort of where you land or if you've got a different opinion but some people are like well that's fine because they're Noldor Elves so they're going to be fucking well-eyed so of course they're better than everybody else mm. and then other people are like well what, why have you produced this, this new race class when I'm halfway through my campaign and now it's just better than what I've got that I've built over many months why would you have a starting character class that's just better than everybody else that's unbalanced it's rubbish mm. what do you think about that Bass? I think it's unbalanced and rubbish <laughs> <laughs> it's um, is it's not my first rodeo and you'll remember this because you know we used to work for Games Workshop and um, one of the, the the rallying cries of the disgruntled Games Workshop fan was how have you released another source book which has made my army rubbish <laughs> because it's called Power Creep and as soon as I finished painting something you brought out exactly the same thing but it's fewer points and more money usually <laughs> um, and <laughs> and you know what there was a certain truth in that yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't untrue <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't completely untrue some of it was paranoid delusions but not all of it um and it is weird when you see role-playing companies pull that stunt all these years later of uh, of essentially thinking if I put if I make these uh, if I make these character options really super good I might sell more books. Now I, I don't I don't know if that's what's happened yet, and I suspect it probably isn't because <laughs> that would that would take some marketing now. Some role-playing game companies don't have that, but, <laughs> but it does it does smack of that sometimes. And um, but but the interesting thing is. It's a guaranteed winner for sales, and it's a guaranteed winner for interest. And uh, I'm sure there's no malice intended in it, but it will get people talking about it. And, and it is rotten, um, but it's really, really easy to turn it off because any group worth their salt, or any GM certainly, because it's usually the GM's fault, would just say, "Well, we're not having them in my campaign." End of story. Or you'll have to really convince all of us, not just me, but all of us. And that's the end of it, isn't it? I think it's. I think it really is only at the kind of tournament level um, the tournament end of gaming where your pathfinders and your D&Ds are where people will bring a book with them plonk it on the table and go but these are official rules everything else surely is just up for discussion isn't it I think it is um, when I heard about that rule and there was, there was some games kicking off and people were choosing characters and I, you know the certain people thought they're going to get another elf I, I, can, mm. I can put money on it and they did and they went for that option and you know, yeah. 
you, you saw that it's like, oh yeah, because I think that sort of stuff about the owls is really like mystical, and I really like. It's like, shut up, you're a munchkin, and you want the better stats. Like <laughs> we, we all know it. You know it. I know it. Everybody else knows it. Stop dressing it up like you're there for the story. Um, and I think for me, it'd be a lot, probably more fine if people just owned it and went, yeah, I, I just want, I want, I want to be able to twat stuff from my sword. I want to be better than everybody else. It's like, okay, fine, pick that option then. That'll, that'll do that for you. I think it's the lobes of bastards. Yeah, true. <laughs> They've been doing this since the dawn of the bloody hobby. They were the very first cheesy race. You had you had your halflings, you had your humans, you had your dwarves, all fairly shit. <laughs> and then you had an elf who was basically a fighter and a magic user and could probably be a cleric and didn't need to sleep and couldn't be charmed. And it's like, <laughs> what? At first level? Can't no paralyze him either. wants to be an elf. <laughs> Oh, so they've always been that way. Uh, yeah, what was the downside? Slightly pointy ears. Oh, do, do me a favour. I hate elves. Always have done, but only because they bring out the twelve-year-old teen boy in everybody, and they need to be thrown off a cliff. Boo. Yeah, I, I hate windlings for the same thing. I've left on. Um, yeah, I mean the interesting time I've seen elves is something like uh, Sundered Skies, with the baddies. So the mm-hmm. players, are, so, oh. so they're better than everybody else, but you don't get to be one. <laughs> they're the antagonists. <laughs> I think that's great. That's exactly how they should be. They're unknowable and alien and hate you. Correct. Yeah, if you want to have access to the really powerful stuff, be the GM. You have all the elements. <laughs> that's very true. Oh, I was just going to say, how do you feel about um, the, the balance Let's talk about D&D for a bit, your favourite topic. But 4th uh, edition, edition's very much... It was the one with challenge ratings where you, you, you know, the rule book told you what you had to have for the level of characters you got and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I mean, my sweet summer child. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Is it the one with Thacko as well? I can't remember. Oh, my God. Get me a new podcast. This one's broken. Right. No. <laughs> um, challenge ratings were third edition and they were wrong and broken. Why, why were they wrong and broken? Had, had a working system. Because they just didn't work. Are they unbalanced? Oh, Is that they, what you're saying? They were absolutely bollocks, yeah. Um, I, I kind of got the idea of what was supposed to be going on, but they made it really complicated and convoluted. For a game that never, I don't think, ever really had a massive issue with, with DM setting challenges. Um, because, well, back in the day, it was fairly obvious what you had to do. I mean, creatures had hit dice, which gave you a very, very rough idea of where they were. Um, you had like your low level stuff, your mid level stuff, and you just tried stuff out. And mostly it was trial and error, but it didn't take very long before you knew whether six goblins in a room was a bad idea or 25 dragons in a broom closet was a good idea, um, <laughs> which it is. But anyway, that's a different story. No, uh, challenge rating in third edition was, was a bit, bit crap because it, it fell into the trouble that you've described with Savage Worlds, which is they had a go, and when it didn't work very well, that made it almost worse than if they hadn't had a go at all. Mm. So that was the problem there. Um, fourth edition got it right, honestly, and I think even the detractors of fourth edition would say that it got it right. And it was really, really simple. You had an experience point budget for your combat, and you spent it on monsters. That's it. If you have a thousand points to spend, you went and bought a thousand points of monsters, a bit like building an army in Warhammer, um, and you know just as much fun because. You could build it of different troop types, stuff like that. It was a little game in and of itself. Yeah. And um, prepping encounters in fourth edition was was card deck building fun, which is fun. Um, mm. 
and you could you could drop as drape as much story around that as you wanted or start with the story and work up from there and the best thing about a perfectly balanced system as 4e generally speaking was and this i think is my ultimate answer to anybody who says that they don't like balancing games is well you can take a balanced game and completely unbalance it very very easily but you can't take an unbalanced game and make it balanced so if you want to take a fourth edition game and the the fight that's coming up should be about 1,000 XP and you want to make it 500 or 2,000 or not even look at that stuff and yeah. just drop in monsters that you think are right, that's fine. Um, you, you know that you're unbalancing it. But at least you know. You're not just fumbling around in the bloody dark. And, <laughs> and that, that was the beauty of it for me is that you could make these decisions. Great yeah. game. You should try it. Yeah, I did. Um, so, <laughs> so maybe not. Um, well, what about things like, um, like I, I've played Savage World for since it came out, basically, uh, and mm. in fact, since before it came out, playtested it. Uh, but the thing is with it is it's got open-ended rolls or exploding dice or aces or whatever you want to call them. So if you roll a d6 and get a six, you roll it again and add it on. If you get another six, you add it on and add it on and add it on and keep going until you don't roll a six anymore. And the same for all the different dice types. So I've got, because I've played it for so long, I've got a good feel for what a challenging encounter would be for a group of characters uh, quite happily. But you still get the time every now and again where a lowly goblin will roll a 473 and take someone's head off or you know that sort of thing. Um, so as balanced as I think the system might be, or I've got a gauge for it, uh, it still throws up crazy results every now and again. Does that still count as balanced? If you've got a game that has exploding dice, can it still be a balanced game? Or just by definition, the open-endedness mean it's going to be at least highly variable? Uh, I, I think that's. I think it's a separate thing to balance. Um, I think that that's just a mechanical thing. And uh, you either think it's fun or you don't think it's fun. But what makes it what makes it nothing to do with balance, I think, for me, is that both sides have got access to that. So mm. player characters have exactly the same same dice mechanic. It's a core mechanic that runs through the whole thing, doesn't it? And if anything, the player characters actually have a bit of a bonus because they have the wild die, which the baddies generally don't. Mm. So they've got even more chance of like big spiky stuff. No, I, I don't think it's inappropriate at all with, with with the games that have the kind of swingy stuff that's going on. Um, that doesn't make it balanced or unbalanced. It might make it unfair, or it might make it a bit brutal, or it might make it surprising, but that's that doesn't fall into the definition of balance for me. For me, the idea of balance is that you look around the table, and really you're looking at the other players, and you're thinking, we're all in this together. I'm not just the scrub. That's, that's tacked onto the end. I'm not the noob necessarily, or my player character isn't being totally balked just because I haven't bought the latest supplement or whatever. You feel like you're all playing together in a co-op game. Um, what the opposition do, I don't think that I don't think it, the balance has to go across the GM screen at all. Um, not in the slightest, actually. Um, despite everything I've just said about challenge ratings and the rest of it in 4e, that's just there as a as a kind of like a, a set of gauges on your dashboard, but you can redline stuff or not press the pedals at all, or throw in twenty encounters or whatever. And I think you should be encouraged to do so. You know, you 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 are you are you're the people around the table making up the story, but the balance needs to be so that everybody is getting equal spotlight, equal opportunity, equal agency, even if they apply it in completely different ways. 
So, I, no, basically, I have no problem with exploding dice whatsoever. Uh, more the better, because that just brings out something interesting in the fight. The Smart Party has a Patreon account. It's a way for you and a loyal listener to help with the running costs of the podcast. We really appreciate your help because the red posting and exotic whiskies don't pay for themselves. Head over to the patreon.com slash smart party and sign up to drop us a couple of bucks each month. We will forever be in your depths and you can sit back and relax as we continue to provide free gaming banter for your delectation and delight. So what about where um, things are deliberately unbalanced on the player side then? So if you're playing Doctor Who or Buffy the Vampire Slayer and one player is the Slayer, one player's playing Buffy and then other people Mm. are the supporting cast. So mechanically kicking ass, uh, you know, the Buffy character is always going to have loads to do, uh, but it's only really story-wise with support roles that all the other characters get something to get a bit a month to shine. But they've not really got much necessarily in the way of heft to support that. So that the system supports one character being really strong in fights, uh, in the terms of Buffy, not Doctor Who, um, but doesn't necessarily support the other characters and their core activities as strongly. How do you like them apples? Uh, I, I don't know them apples, if I'm honest. <laughs> I've, I've, I don't. I haven't played Buffy. I'm, I'm aware of how it works, um, and I'm aware of how they how they mitigate that kind of stuff. So you know, the designers have attempted to balance that situation. It's not quite as it's not quite as brutal as as the equivalent of dropping in a twentieth level mage with a bunch of first level fighters and saying, no. "Go off to the mines of Moria." It's not quite that bad. Um, and they've had to work with it. And, I, and I'm sure they do that with the Doctor Who games as well. They're games I've never played, and I'm not avoiding them out of that sense of they must be horribly unbalanced. They're, they are, they're not the sort of games I like because they're more about um, replicating fiction than, than playing my particular preference for role-playing games. So that's all that is. Um, but So I don't know how they manage it. Um, I think they, they must have tried to address it and address it quite hard because it's the first thing that I'd be scratching my head about and the first thing I'd flick through the book and try and look out for. So I'll, I'll go off and do a bit of research on that. Have you, have you played them yourself? Have you had a go? Uh, I did, but it was years ago, so I was kind of hoping you'd got a bit more of an angle on it, to be honest. But um, I, I, I probably avoided it uh, in many ways because of that thing I was talking about where you've got, always got the munchkin who's going to go for a certain type of character. You know, I could pick yeah. around the table who's going to go for Buffy because they get to kick ass a lot more. Uh, and if you've got another bunch of people who all like just being supporting and helping the story move along, and you know, in fact, having bad things happen to their characters because they get off on that kind of stuff. Hello, Alina. Mm. Um, then you know that all works out <laughs> wonderfully. But uh, I don't know. I think I prefer more because I'm quite a mechanics junkie. I like everybody having equal equal mechanical heft in most arenas. Um, Mm. Uh, so, so what I found quite odd actually was um, the Song of Ice and Fire or whatever they called it those sort of right. um, rules where um, you, you could be good, you had your own areas of expertise potentially but then you were just awful in others so I picked a character that was really good socially but um, I thought I'll just put you know a couple of dice in sword or whatever and that'll probably be alright it turns out it's really mm. not, you need to have like the extra abilities as well to make it work properly all right. So we got attacked by some bandits, uh, and I was absolutely useless. It was horrific. I thought I was going to die in my first encounter, and I had to be dragged from the mud by my comrades, which which maybe is in keeping with the fiction. 
But then we got to court and I just owned everybody. I was like some kind of Magneto or, well, more like Xavier, actually. I was just this mind control specialist who, anytime somebody spoke to me, I could just convince them that they were wrong and they'd need to throw themselves out of a tower or give all the stuff to me or whatever. And it felt really weirdly yeah. so that like the dials were just spun to 11 both sides, if you know what I mean. Uh, and you could be really yeah. great at something. Like uh, one of the guys had a water dancer who could just take apart armies. Um, but, you know, you could tell him anything you wanted. He'd have to believe you because he had none of the social stuff. So uh-huh. the, the balance yeah. in that game, again, seemed wildly off in terms of what what one thing would give you over another sort of thing. Or, you know, if you put a dial one way or the other, like how bad you were at something, how great you were, seemed to swing wildly. Mm. And that gave you no real balance in the game. You didn't feel like you could... If you picked a middling sort of character, you'd be mediocre at both. Uh, but other right. characters would be really good at one of them, and it'd be noticeably so, so that you didn't have your... There's no situation then where you'd be useful. If you go, oh, yeah, I'm all right at speaking to people in court, actually, and I'm all right at a joust. It's like, well, we don't need you, because he's brilliant at court, and he's an amazing jouster. So what are you here for? Here, you hold the reins of the horses while we go off and win the adventure. It's that sort of thing. So there, there yeah. perhaps needs to be some kind of temperance in systems as well. So you, you, you balance out um, just how, how the, the sort of like middle level or the mediocre level fix as well, so that you're not completely incompetent in stuff, unless it's by design. Um, I suppose another interesting one would be Houses of the Blooded, where there's sort of five stats, mm-hmm. and you have to pick one in which you'll always lose. So out of the, it okay. might be warfare or whatever, to use your example, I can't remember what the exact uh, virtues are, but you might have zero on that, which means you'll always lose fights. Uh, and there will come points in the game where you'll have to get in a fight or something like that, or you'll have to give something. So that's another interesting one. What do you think about that, where you've got options where someone might just be absolutely shit at something, but you've got to have it as a character choice? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan uh, of that kind of thing. I think that um, uh, the, the, there's always a pull with gaming. Uh, and my, my personal agenda and motto is always to choose interesting over effective, always. Um, and some games don't really even let you do that. You've just got to be effective at everything. <laughs> uh, modern D&D would be a great example of that. You know, We used to roll 3D6 in order, and, and that's what you got. Um, it's very difficult to have a crap character in modern D&D but I quite like it when either the vagaries of the dice or the vagaries of the scenario or just character generation rules like the one you've just said said something's going to go wrong at least I'm going to tell you you've got some choice over what that is and when it happens it's like well happy days Um, because I really like um, I really like messing up because messing up is the best bits in stories generally speaking snatching victory from the jaws of defeat um, overcoming obstacles to reach a true love, all of that kind of stuff, that's good. If it's if it's just plain sailing, then there's no tension, there's no light and shade, there's no no pacing, really. Mm. It's just, you know, um, well, too easy. And who wants it to be too easy? So if you are going to fall over, it's kind of nice if you can know how it's going to go. And um, I think there's probably sort of two extreme examples of that, that I can think of. The first one is... Um, the whole way that fate is set up where you get to pick your trouble where you've got to power your successes by taking failures in advance that's a really neat little economy um, and and half the, the fun in that game is, is is picking your aspects so that you can do that mm. and, and sort of plotting out not your character arcs but your story arcs I like that and then I think probably the other one bizarrely is Call of Cthulhu 
where everybody starts off with the same unspoken disadvantage, which is that you're all going to go mad and die <laughs> at some point. <laughs> and you know it's going to happen because you don't set out to succeed in that game because it's so nihilistic and that's the point of it. So, you know, you you are... I, I don't I don't believe really that that players, if they really are honest with themselves, set out to succeed at absolutely everything because there's this huge attraction to to games and mechanics and systems where you can fall over and fall flat on your bum and, and everybody everybody keeps on insisting that when I roll a one in D and D it's some kind of fumble and that's just not in the rules it never has been. <laughs> but people really want it to be there. I think people like it. I do actually. I think falling over on banana skins is, is part of role playing games and, and uh, just as much fun if not more so than the times when you just decapitate the baddie in one easy swipe because you had your dice explode at the right time mm. so yeah I'm all for it and I don't think it and I think it is quite a nice balancing mechanism if you can make some decisions in advance about how things are going to go yeah yeah I think so um, I think I don't know whether it sort of fits in with uh, competency in some way I guess is more not sort of um, uh, I'm trying to think how to phrase it but you want to be good or average in a lot of things don't you at least I think that's that's probably where it falls down mm-hmm. if you get something like uh, one of my fancy role player for example certainly the sort of first edition you're just awful at everything and you're rolling lots of dice and you keep failing all the time now that wasn't interesting that's not like a spectacular failure or you know not quite clasping the edge of the cliff or something it was just you were constantly spending like mm. minutes trying to hit a goblin or you know you, you constantly miss tracks or ignore clues or not spot the ambush or what and that just seemed like a miserable experience because you weren't I mean arguably it's the way you roll and should you be rolling all those dice and all that kind of stuff as well but certainly Cthulhu and those earlier systems were just had loads of failure request was the same sort of might um, so I mean, do you not agree at least that there needs to be some kind of balance around um, the players do succeed at other tasks or you don't roll for them? Or you, Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, We talk a little bit then about that, the wilds, the highs and the lows, but along the way, you kind of don't want failures to get in the way, do you? Or you want to be able to just say, we'll just do this Monday stuff, let's not roll for it. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I've just said you want to be interesting rather than purely effective. If... if- if nothing can move forward in the game because the rule system is actively preventing you from generating momentum, whether that means you're going to die as soon as you get into a fight or locked up as soon as you speak to anyone or you can't even get dressed and leave the house because you don't make the rolls right, well, that actually isn't very interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> there's there's clearly there's a level. You've got to be effective enough to have forward momentum in the game. Mm. Um and that's that's why, you know, to use fate as an example again, out of your five aspects, one of them is a trouble. Now some of them might be double edged, but you've already, you can see the ratio there. Yeah. You know, you've got four things that will probably work for you and one thing that will work against you. Um, or it might just be so nailed down mechanically that it's all been tested and weighed and measured, like in D and D fourth edition, where all other things being equal, player characters had a fifty five percent chance of doing anything. Um and it's been worked out, 55%. In other words, a slight advantage. It's not 50, it's not 49, it's not 80. Um, and, you know, I guess I do want all of those things to be there. And and, and I think what we're scratching at here, Gaz, and, and we've spoken about this before, is I kind of want my game designers to have designed my game and figured all of this out before I get there. Yeah. And 
I've, I've got to say sometimes I think that the people who the people who say I don't need my game to be balanced I just want it to be free and easy it's, it's kind of slightly lazy um, and they're, they're letting designers and authors off the hook if they can't be bothered to to at least you know run run a couple of tests on these things just to make sure that the game's got some forward momentum because role-playing games are made up of a whole bunch of stuff I get that and it certainly isn't all contained in the rule book nobody knows that more than me there's loads of stuff that just happens around the table where you don't reach for the dice and the rest of it but those good games don't mean that the dice system was right if you didn't use it that's, <laughs> that's that is yeah. lazy thing yeah, yeah yeah so you you can have a perfectly balanced rule system that you choose not to use at perfect at times that's good but you can't bring an unbalanced fight to you can't bring an unbalanced set of rules to the fight and then say that's perfectly okay when just weird stuff starts happening and no one gets to speak for a while and other people get to dominate and that's not I, I don't find that fun even if I'm the person who's getting all of the goodies uh, in fact arguably I think it's even less fun than when I'm getting none of them yeah um, let's let's pick on BRP since you brought up Cathelion. Uh I have issues with it <laughs> Uh, and I, I think from a balance point of view, the stuff in there, historically, that has been an issue. So when you make a, an early edition Cthulhu character, you get a random set of stats. And then depending on what those random stats are, you might have loads of skill points or very few skill points. So straight away, the characters are unbalanced from, in terms of which skills they've got, how many skills they've got. Uh, and then you don't know which skills you want. So you're relying on your GM providing adventures in with the stuff that you've picked for your skills. So then it becomes a bit of a, why am I picking my skills? And am I just saying I'm really interested in physics but not botany or something? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? So it's not like the players are making meaningful choices necessarily. They're just trying to call their character with skills they've got because if they want a tortured artist, they've got to put some points in art. And if they've rolled a really low education, they haven't got very many points to spread around. So they might be a shit tortured artist just by the way the game system works. So that seems decidedly unbalanced just from making your character. That To say what it's about and you're all going to go mad and die anyway, you can't necessarily make your character effective at the things you want to be good at, whether they'll be useful in the adventure or not anyway, uh, just because of the, the random nature of how many points you get to build your character. That seems pretty unbalanced to me. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I would, and and I'm sure that its defenders will say, "Well, that's just like life, isn't it? You don't get the same. You don't get the same I don't want to role play real deal. life." Well, no, you don't, do you? That's the point. And, and you don't. We don't all deal from the same deck of cards, and I and I get that in real life, and, and you know, and sometimes that's shit too. You know, some people you know don't have the privileges that other people do, and it sucks. But if you're playing fantasy stuff. I'm not saying that everybody has to be cookie-cuttered and everyone has to fall out exactly the same and have like 42.5 points each to spend on their abilities. I'm not, that's, that's not what I'm saying. It, it, it can get too clinical and too sterile. But what I am saying is it would be absolutely no fun in any other gaming environment if we were playing chess, for example, and I wasn't allowed to have any queens, <laughs> but you were. That's, that's rubbish. Or we're playing poker, but for some reason, because I rolled badly at the start of the game, or I didn't know what I was doing, or I picked the wrong rule set, I've only got four cards and you've got five. What's that about? <laughs> now that that's clearly that's taking it to an extreme, but that's those are games, and I think sometimes people forget that role playing games 
are games as much as they are anything else. And it's the game element that has to be able to stand up. Because if you've not got that, you're role-playing. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Knock yourselves out, but you are admit what you're doing, which is that you're not playing a game at that point. And, and that can happen during the middle of an RPG session. It can be the whole of an RPG session. It could be the entirety of a LARP or an amateur dramatics night. And I'm absolutely cool and dandy with all of that stuff. But you don't get to hold up your rule book and say, this provided me with a great game tonight if you didn't use it. And I think BRP often falls into that category where they provided... It's, I've had some fantastic games using the BRP system but mostly the fantastic games have been when I haven't been using the BRP system. It just happens to be sat on the table between us all. Yeah. Um, and, and that's okay. And I think, you know, I think let's acknowledge the fact that it doesn't get in the way. You'll have heard that kind of stuff before. Mm. Um, I think a really well-balanced game can't get in the way. That might be a, a contentious point. Um, but I kind of, I spend money on these books. I want to better use them for more than just like, just a few ideas and then make it up as you go along. Yeah, so um, to tie a couple of ideas together, I think BRP or the early Cthulhu was um, it was like partly of the original OSR when you're saying that why they're not more products like OSR. I think that's basically what Cthulhu is or the BRP mechanics. If you look around, actually, people have been hacking BRP for years and coming up with extra bits and tweaks and add-ons and bits they throw away and all the rest of it. And I think the original OSR is probably around that sort of system that people have been using it because it was basically RuneQuest as well and all kinds of things. So... I think True. there was a little movement around that anyway. It's just that people didn't shout about it as much because the internet's only just been invented. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you know, it's one of the things. But I agree with everything you say in terms of, you know, if you're going to play a game, claim that, if you can't claim that game's great unless you use that game. Um, and by game, I mean system or whatever the rules are or guidelines sort of mm. like spelled out. Uh, interestingly, recently, I think I've mentioned this before, but it's worth saying again in case... I get all the hate mail about me hating BRP and Cthulhu <laughs> once more. But I really like the new sort of rules where you've got pushing rolls. So if you fail, yeah. you get you can roll again. But if you fuck it up, you get really like harsh treatment from the gem. I like that as a choice from the player. They can decide to really sort of stick the neck out there. Uh, and using luck, but it's a finite resource. So not just making a luck roll, but you spend points of your luck. And at certain points when the gem's deciding who falls in the vat of acid or whatever, you're going to have to make a luck roll. And if you've been spending your luck on your other rolls just to make sure you succeed, then you're more likely to fall in that vat of acid. And lucky that was your choice. So uh, I like those sort of tweaks that are kind of uh, in-session changes to the, the game almost. So you have got a set of skills at a certain level and you have got a certain amount of luck, but you can then use those resources and uh, spend them if you wish to influence how the session goes, but you are putting yourself at risk by doing so. And I think that kind of risk-reward strategy feeds into what you were saying earlier about having things that are more exciting. So if you've got a way players can push that uh, via the rules, rather than just being the gem, the one that controls that, or you know a static set up in advance that you have to have the right abilities for, I think that's a really interesting way of having a game where the players get to input more of that decision about what's going to be exciting and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the old hero point is uh, is kind of rife in plenty of trad and not so trad games these days, and uh, and I think it comes across as pretty much a balancing mechanic, doesn't it? Mm. Actually, I think it's probably what they use in in Buffy and those other games you were talking about before. But um, but loads of loads of games that are of a certain vintage, uh, going back to like your, your your trinity of Traveller, Call of Cthulhu, and D and D, 
um, some of them are more resistant than others, but they've, they've all kind of come up with some sort of variant on the hero point at this stage, or at least the re-roll or mitigating stuff, just to make it, well, more balanced, actually. Um, I can't think of many games that have deliberately become more unbalanced as they've iterated through the years because they thought they were too balanced at the, at the outset. It doesn't seem to be working that way. Um, I'm trying to think now, as we speak, of what's the most unbalanced game I've ever played. I've, I've got a couple of contenders. I, I'll kind of leave it with you for a minute to think that one over, but there, there, there are a few out there. Um, I, I'm going to I'm going to punt for uh, Deadlands, the classic <laughs> original Deadlands. <laughs> yeah. As, as as a as a game that didn't have character classes, um, except when it did. So <laughs> if you played <laughs> if you played a huckster, which meant you got magic, you kind of got your own book, literally your own book and your own section of the book to play with, and and your own set of rules and all that kind of stuff. Um, or you could be uh, all all the other stuff that was in there too. There was a uh, revenants, and there was a few different things you could be, but they were all kind of exotic and a bit exceptional. But the default was you were just like a, a cowboy, yeah, um, pretty much, and um, which was the equivalent of, I guess, of the old fighter class in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Is what you took when you couldn't qualify for anything else. Um, but I got the impression that like four fifths of every party was supposed to be your cowboys, and maybe one of you would be something kind of cool and exotic. But the cool and exotic one, well, everybody wanted to play them because. Yeah. That was that was where the balance was. It wasn't that they had bigger dice, or or bigger juju or anything else like that. They were just way more interesting and exotic, and they were essentially elves. So why wouldn't you <laughs> want to do that? But then you had a party of five hucksters, and uh, and the poor old GM was looking at their their stage wagon bank robbery and thinking, well, this is going to take three minutes. This is silly. My game's been destroyed. Except it'd take two hours because the system was so horribly broken. The, <laughs> yeah, the amount of variance yeah, in the game. Well, I, I used the example of playing poker with only four cards, but it's just reminded me you actually did that in Deadlands. Yeah, you actually played poker with with not all of the cards. Holy hell! So <laughs> you'd, you'd like I think use cards to determine what your stats were before you started the game. So you might have a a dex for want of a better word of like a d four, or it might be four d twelve. Uh, and it could be anyone between. If you roll for initiative, that means you roll your respective dice. So you're sat there with your poor one d four, and I'm rolling four d twelve. We'll see what better number I get. And for each raise I get, I get an extra card. So you're going on six of clubs, and I'm going on the two, three, seven, eight, and jack of spades or something. So I get five mm. goals, and you only get one. Or you'd have situations where you'd go on like queen and two. So you cock your pistol on, on queen, wait till everything else had happened, and then on two you get to shoot someone. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Say if the hucksters with the power, they'd have to roll dice to see how many cards they get. They'd have to make a poker hand out of it, then beat what the GM had got, and just oh my word, so much dice rolling cards, all the rest of it, and none of it made any sense. No, no, and it got jettisoned straight away at, at cons, and and all the cons we went to to try and find someone to teach us how to play the game said, yeah, I don't use any of those rules because they kind of get in the way of the game. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. It's, like, it's like buying a car and saying, you know, I, I don't use the steering wheel, it gets in the way of my car. So, isn't it like an important bit of it? How do you chop bits off anyway? Well, <laughs> well, we're on that subject actually, and we have talked about Savage Worlds in its earlier iteration, had this as well, which I find really annoying. But what do you think about systems where um, you get fate points or whatever you want to call them, uh, and the count's experience if you don't spend them, but then you spend them at the end right. of the session? 
So uh, I think they have this in uh, what's it called? The Monty Cook stuff. The Numenera. Numenera and uh, the Strange and all that. So you get these XP cards yeah. but you can use them in the game. You know. So if your character doesn't get shot, you don't need to use them as much. So you have more experience at the end or whatever. Uh, and to me, they seem to reward characters who do less. So they get in less trouble and don't have to spend these points. Yeah, it's um, it's bad design, and designers should know better because it was glaringly bad design when it first happened. And these books still exist, and the stories still exist of how everyone thinks it's bad design. I can't, I can't find a single fan for these things. It's, <laughs> it's not like it's, a, it's not a contentious issue, is it? Oh, come on! If if you think they're great, please write in, please, because I, I haven't heard. Look, here's the thing. Here's the most most evil thing about that kind of setup is we've been talking about balance and um, and uh, one of the mechanisms that game designers like to use to put balance into their game is an experience system at all or advancement. It, it's a mechanism for balancing. So if uh, if you've each got a thousand experience points you can spend them in different ways or level up in different ways but it's all designed to be pitched roughly against each other so that your player characters are kind of advancing at a similar level um, except in classic D&D where you had linear fighters and quadratic magicians but never mind <laughs> so you've got an experience system which is designed to be a balancing mechanism and you've got a hero point system which is also designed to be a balancing mechanism and then you collide the two together cross the streams so that you can completely unbalance both mechanisms at the same time uh, how on earth they've managed to do that and, and still call that like a, a positive design decision. I don't understand. You'd be better off just taking both systems completely out of the game and it would have been better. Yeah. But you've mashed two of them into each other and destroyed things. It's just nonsense. I mean, it just results in people just turtling up and doing nothing to accumulate experience like uh, 7C. I think I'm right in saying that was one of their classic things they did. I've fairly Sounds sure right. experienced yeah, yeah. dice. Um, or you get people who just go, oh, sod it, and just spend everything um, to, to to overcome stuff in a scenario, but then they get to be weaker in future ones. No, the whole thing's just backwards thinking, mate. And, and, and you know I think that too, so <laughs> thanks for the red rag there. Well, <laughs> how about experience system or experience delivery systems in general then? Because I bought into this when I was younger, but looking back, even quite a long time ago, when I was looking back, I thought, this can't be right. So if you turn up to a mm. session, you get an experience point in, uh, say, White Wolf games. Uh, and if you are voted the best role player, you get an experience <laughs> point. And uh, if you brought your background into it, you get an experience. There's this like arbitrary rules for who gets an experience point and who doesn't. How's that balance? Yeah. You know, your mate goes on holiday for two weeks, comes back, and all of a sudden he's got like one less ability than everybody else because, you know, he went away to Spain for two weeks. How's his character? How's that yeah. balanced? I don't know. I don't get it. There's, there's something really deeply sinister underneath all of that, which is this kind of Viking hat GM shit. Where, and, I mean, I can kind of live with those scenarios where, where there's some biscuits on the table and you push them out to people, depending on what they've done in real life. I could barely live with it, but I could just about live with it because you know what? Steve comes around my house every week and makes tea for me, so you know, <laughs> I love Steve. And Have a belly. I'll push a dice his way anytime <laughs> as long as he keeps making me tea. Well done, Steve. Where I like it even less is where the GM's got a pile of uh, good doggy biscuits that he hands out for what he sees and only he sees as good role playing. It's like <laughs> Jesus Christ, we've turned role playing into strictly come dancing. <laughs> <I'm not judging. laughs> 
you got <laughs> your reward for whatever good role playing is, by the way, and you know we can argue about that till the cows come home. Is you get given stuff that makes you better at the game. I've if if for one minute I'd ever seen it make people better at role playing, I'd be all for it. But it doesn't. It simply rewards people who were going to do it anyway. It's basically Desperado from Netrunner. <laughs> here's some credits for doing what you were going to do anyway. Enjoy. And the people who didn't do it anyway just get to watch all the other people hogging the, the glory and the limelight. They can't even turn it down. What are they supposed to do to try and bring everybody else forward in the game? Be a bit shitter at gaming? <laughs> what kind of incentive is that? <laughs> Good rap, Buzz. I enjoyed that. That was me. <laughs> In the name of balance as well. Here we go. Yeah, that's going to balance the game, isn't it? If you're good, if you if you make a really good speech, you can have an experience point so that you can gut someone with a sword the next time. <laughs> okay, cool, nice system. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is hard. It'd be I don't know. It'd be nice if you got a way of like rewarding people for contributing more. But as you say, it just seems to like fuel the fire, doesn't it? If, if yeah, if people feel disgruntled well, about, I've got a great idea. Go on. And this this is how I reward people for good role playing. Um, I I let them enjoy themselves by letting them do good role playing and not getting in their bloody way. Because the reward of role playing is role playing. It's like saying to people, "How do I incentivize people to have sex?" Well, you don't do. You just let them get on with it and do it in a way that they feel like doing it. Really, and actually handing out rewards and certificates afterwards doesn't get many better at it. It's an enjoyable activity. Why would you have to incentivize anybody to role play in a role playing game? That's like incentivizing people to, to wear white in cricket. What? It's part of the... It comes with the territory. <laughs> I don't know. I, I want to kind of endorse if every time I have sex, someone gives me a biscuit afterwards. <laughs> 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 the, the literal icing on the cake. How about people just do it because it's fun and a good thing to do? But I, I like if biscuits as well. someone into it. Just like your love life, mate. If you've continually got to badger people and talk them into it, they're probably not going to stick around for long. No, it works occasionally, though. You know. Hand out Rohypno at your gaming table. Force them to be better. Yes. So we should all be doing it for the fun of it. Is the uh, It's taken us about 50 episodes to get there, but we finally solved role-playing games, Buzz. Done it. Finally. <laughs> Without even the need for whiskey this time round. Awesome stuff. Right. When we start talking about fixing role playing for everyone, I think it's probably time to call it a day. Correct, so. indeed. <laughs> we become unbalanced. Say that stuff. Say that stuff you always say at the end of podcasts. Man. So then, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and non-binaries, uh, if you've got something out there that you think we've missed, if you think we're wrong, if you you're wrong clearly, but if you think we're wrong, send us in an email. <laughs> tell us why. Tell us your stories. Tell us about your super balanced systems that we haven't discovered yet, or. If you've got an unbalanced one you enjoy, tell us why you enjoy that or you don't care that it's balanced. Give us some comments, give us some feedback, send us an email, whatever you want. And as always, this is on Patreon if you want to throw a couple of dollars our way and help us produce this podcast every week. You can contact us and join in the chat by emailing us at smartparty@hotmail.com or by heading over to our website at smartparty.wordpress.com Get in touch and join the party of smartness. Job done, Bass. Nice one. Cheers, everybody. Have a Benny. (laughs) Bye-bye now.